Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Morning, Life Changes. So great to be here. Long to be with you, to experience and enjoy and be mutually encouraged. I have so loved this morning just the friendliness, the openness, your beautiful moments of worship and gratitude and the doxology, which is an eruption of praise to our God, the presence of God being here. Um, Mark and Candace, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, elders. Thank you, life changers, for having us. Um, it's a big risk. <laughs> Thank you, life changes, for having fun. Uh, I, I, I so wish we had come a, a, a day earlier and just experienced your appreciation dinner. I love that. Love that. Well done. Thank you. Thank you for being a church that is being the best church for the city, not wanting to be the best church in the city. Thank you. Thank you for being a church that wants to impact the city. Thank you for, for being a church that's willing to change. Thank you for changing so that you can reach. Uh, it's not easy. No, there are not many churches. Thank you for being willing to change. And you may be even here this morning thinking there's been so many changes and I don't know how much more I can take. You know what? To see people cross the line of faith, their lives change, it's worth it. It's worth it. Thank you for being a people that are willing to change. Father, I want to thank you for this beautiful church. I want to thank you. It's beautiful because of you. But that, Lord Jesus, also, I, I, I ask that even in this moment and these few moments that we have together, that you would become greater and we would become less. That, Lord, your mission, your purpose, your plans that you would inspire us and encourage us and strengthen us and, and would you uh, show us more of yourself, but Lord, also would you help us see more of the city that needs to be reached, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation where it's probably never happened to Gabe or when you ever talked to Gabe and, or Mark, in fact, um, where there, there's a lack of self-confidence. You know, there's kind of a little bit of... You know, somebody's speaking to you and they're kind of mumbling and you know, you know, you don't know what, you know, there's a little. Um, it's foreign to, if you're in this church talking to either one of these men, but I had an experience the other day up in Belita, the north coast, uh, just north of Durban. I went to visit a friend of mine and on my way there, my sinuses were playing up, so I decided I'd quickly stop at the pharmacy and get some tab just to, to clear. And so I'm standing in the, in the queue. Well, I was the only one, and there was someone at the counter talking to the pharmacist. And he, he was a very chatty guy. He was an Indian, so I'm not sure if he was chatty or chatty. But um, he was chatting away and, and, and engaging, and, and it became my turn. And I walked up and you know, asked for Sinotab, and, and so we got talking. And I suppose being in Belido, North Coast, Obviously, he didn't recognize me. I wasn't a local, and he just presumed some things, and he presumed, I think, a lot of things, because all of a sudden, he, he began to mumble, and, and he kind of said, you know, you sing on holiday and all, I can hook you up with some potency pills, you know, and, and I'm like, sorry, what did you say? 
Now, stupid, because I, you know, I was like, what did you say? And I leant across the counter just to kind of hear, you know. And then with a lot more confidence, he said, you know, seeing you on holiday and all, I can hook you up with some potency pills. And I'm going, are you crazy? Right at that moment, I didn't know where the Viagra, what was it? What was he going to offer me? Why is he offering me anything here? You know, I mean, what does he think, you know? I don't like, I wanted to lean across, grab him and just punch him, you know? Pastor punches pharmacist. There's these things, and I was just like, I think, are you crazy? You know, I took my stuff and just left, you know? But it got me thinking, I don't want to be like a pharmacist that is insecure about what I'm wanting to offer. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful, so potent, that I don't want to be like a pharmacist that's normally, you know, I know Jesus Christ, you know, you can, can hook you up with Jesus, you know. I want to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus that with confidence wants to share the powerful gospel of Jesus. I realize that, you know, there's so much more. There's so much to come, and I'm kind of in those years where um, I'm, I'm thinking more about heaven than I did about being, you know, uh, plans for the future. I mean, you know, in a sense of a young man anymore, you know, that I don't know where the years went. Sitting at 55, and I'm saying, God, maybe I've got 10, 15, 20 years left. I, I lost my brother this year in May. He was 60 years old, and his heart just stopped. And I'm saying, Lord, if my heart stops, have I done everything to get the gospel of Jesus out? Have we done all that we can? I'm not an evangelist. God never made me and gave me that grace gift. I'm not a, a, a Wally Gershmeyer. I wish I was. I wish I could just sit next to the guy on the plane, you know, and just lead him to Jesus. <laughs> when I go on a plane, I want space between me and I don't want anyone there. I don't know why that God didn't give me a love for you, and I just, oh, man, I just want to love you. I'm just like, stay away from me, you know. But I do want to be part of a church that reaches the city. I want to be, you know, a guy asked me this question, a businessman. He said, Craig, I went to him, and I asked him a question. I said to him, help me see urban life through your eyes. And... Uh, he, we talked around it, but he said, Craig, I, I want to ask you a question. He says, do you want Urban Life to be the best church in the city? Or do you, want to be, do you want Urban Life to be the best church for the city? Right there, it was like, I wish I'd heard that 20 years ago. I would have saved so much time. Anyway, you're in a beautiful series called Are You Crazy? And uh, it just reminded me of my thoughts when I sat and chat, chat, chatted to the, to the pharmacist. <laughs> There is so much more, and I, you may have heard this, uh, the best is yet to come. It's kind of going around, and I love it, and I want to say it, and I say it, and I believe it. We have a saying at Urban Life where we, call, we say to them, there is more than before. There is more than before. Uh, I was in Acts chapter 4 one day in my, in my meditations and in my devotions, and I saw that at the pinnacle of a situation where the 
the disciples, uh, you, you know, it, it, it is said that they were dragged before the council, the same council that killed Jesus. The same men that sentenced Jesus to death got hold of the disciples and wanted them to, to, you know, wanted to destroy them, wanted to kill them. And they said, you must not speak about the name of Jesus. And they said, well, we won't. So to the same men that sentenced their leader to death, they stood up. And I mean, how bold is that? How bold is to be able to say to, to the same council of men that, you know, we won't listen to you. We're going to proclaim the name of Jesus. It's kind of like that's the pinnacle of all boldness to me. It's like, yes. And then they go to a prayer meeting. And they have such a prayer meeting that the whole place rocks and shakes. But in that prayer meeting, what they pray for is greater boldness. They say, Lord, give us greater boldness. I'm thinking, well, how much more bold do you need to be? You know, you've just stuck the finger up the nose of the very people that killed your leader, and you're saying, God, give us boldness. And in that moment, God said, there's more than before. And I want them more than before. And yes, but you know, I don't know about you, but I kind of find myself just struggling to move sometimes into the more than before. The better that's yet to come. I believe it, but somehow I keep looking to the past. Somehow I keep dreaming that maybe my best days are in the past. But I, I also say, God, thank you that by your spirit, you drag me into the future. You give me a vision of what is to come, and I need to move into that. And I have, coming off a sabbatical this year, just an incredible privilege given to us by the church to go away for three months and, and be refreshed and, and come back sharper. I've been saying, God, what are you wanting me to become? And in this process, I've learned some things, and I want to share you, with you this morning just something out of Hebrews chapter 11. When I was speaking to Mark, and we were coming down, I said, where are you at, and what are you in? And he said, we're in a series called, Are You Crazy? from Hebrews chapter 11. I said, oh, I tell you what, there's been a verse that has so encouraged me, and has encouraged me, and I'm not there yet, but I thought I'll just share a few things of my journey of how God is leading me into trying to take more than before. Anyone, are you there? Can I, can I share something about that? All right, let's start off, because I was reading in, in Hebrews chapter 11 one day, going through this great chapter, this uh, chapter about the, the man of faith, and I got to verse 30, 11 verse 30, and it's just a very short verse, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the writer of Hebrews is looking back, and in his looking back, he says something that just shattered my world. Because it says this, by faith, say faith. faith. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after, say after. after. They had been encircled for seven days, say encircled. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, you may have read that, and I love the story of Jericho. I was born in the church. I'm a fifth generation minister of the gospel of Jesus. So I grew up on these stories. I grew up on the stories and the flannel boards and all of those things. We didn't have TVs in those times. And about Jericho and how the people of Israel shouted and the walls came down. Now, if you have just been dragged into church by a family member or you've been promised lunch afterwards and uh, they've uh, manipulated you into church, well done, those of you who did that. And for those of you who have been dragged into church, um, we're still working on those that brought you, okay? But anyway, they're not perfect. But I'm so glad you're here because you may be here this morning and you're thinking, I don't know what Jericho is and who, what are you talking about? Uh, 
You know, we had a guy come younger, just to give you an indication that today when you're dealing with people who are far from God, they have sometimes no clue about Bible, and Jesus, and Moses. And This guy got, came into, a friend brought him into the church, and he surrendered his life to Jesus. He, he got born again, but he didn't know too much. And he came to one of our discipleship groups, the first, you know, as he was going to start growing. And uh, he went out and bought a Bible. Never had a Bible in his life before. He bought a brand new Bible and brought it to the discipleship group. And so the leader of the group said, come, let's turn to the book of John. And with great disappointment on his face, he said, oh, I didn't bring the book of John. I only brought the Bible. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? It's like, yeah, man, we need more of those people in church. Maybe you're one of those guys. You say, who the hang is Jericho and Joshua and Hebrews and whatever. But there's a story in the Bible that takes place as this nation chosen by God called the Israelites. They were taken out of slavery because they were promised a land, promised an area, promised an inheritance. And God, through many miracles, and a leader called Moses comes and he takes them out. You can even watch the movie these days. Hollywood has done it. Mm, okay, let's not judge them, but whatever. They've done their best. Um, and they've taken, and what God did is he brought them through a wilderness and he brings them into the promised land. They were a little bit disobedient and lacking of faith, so they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. But after the 40 years, a man called Joshua was given the leadership of this great nation to take them in and take the inheritance that God has given to them. In fact, God had promised them cities that they didn't build. He promised them vineyards that they didn't plant. He gave them, he said, I'm going to give you a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Everything there is going to be of, you're going to be, you, you see, the difference was that it was going to be a miraculous land, not a land of miracles. There's a big difference between a miraculous land and a land of miracles. You see, sometimes we're living in slavery and we come out of the slavery to sin and our past and we come through and God provided for them in the wilderness. He gave them manna and He gave them food and He gave them enough and there was miracles every day. When the Israelites woke up in the morning, there was the miracle of manna. But he says, I don't want you to live in a, in a land of miracles. I want you to live in a miraculous land. You see, a miraculous land is a land where we've got to plant and harvest. A bit of work out there. Sometimes we as Christians just like, God, will you just give me, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. <laughs> God says, you know what? You know what? Come on. Get out into the land. This is a, land of, this is a miraculous land, not a land of miracles. In your walk with God, maybe when you get saved and you've gone for a couple of years and you've just, man, it's amazing. You walk outside your house and there's manna. You just pray for somebody and they get here. Whoa! You think, ah, oh, yeah, man. I'm the gum, God's man for this hour. I can do anything. And then after a few years, you're like, what's happened? You see, because God wants to take you from a land of miracles into a miraculous land. There's a couple of things that have to be done there. And so Joshua takes them into this miraculous land. The manna stops. Because now they've got to plant and reap. They've got some cities to take. And the first city they've got to take is a city called Jericho. It's a very prominent city. And you see, I've always kind of seen, and this is my journey, is that I've always looked at the cities as problems. You know, it's kind of like there's a problem and I've got to, you know, I've got to battle against the problem, God. And God began to speak to me and saying, Craig, I want you to see that the cities in, the, in, in this miraculous land is a, are cities of promise, not problems. 
But the enemy doesn't want to give us the promises. The promises have been given by God, but he doesn't want to release them. He wants to shut them up and hold them tight. And you know, when I began to realize, I looked back and thought, the greatest promise ever given was only given because the greatest battle of ever was fought by Jesus on the cross of Calvary. He had to fight a battle so that we could have the greatest promise of life and eternal, with eternity with God forever. Wow. So there's a couple of battles that I've got to fight. There's more in this, more than before. Yes, the best is yet to come. But God, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. And God says, no, man, I'm tired of that now. You've got to grow up. Okay, maybe God didn't say that, but come on. We need to grow up. And so as we look at this, I began to look at this account of what Joshua did and Jericho. You know that Jericho, the meaning of Jericho means a place of fragrance. There was balsam, honey, cypress, myrobalanus, roses. It was, there was healing in the city, sweetness, durable, fragrant, beautiful. In fact, everything about Jericho was beautiful. It was a very prosperous city. And God wants to give us the promises, and it's not the problems that are in our future, they are the promises of God. But to get the promise, we need to do some battles. It's a fight of faith. And the interesting thing that I began to see here was that, well, let me quickly tell you the story, if you're not, you know, that the nation of Israel came across this Jordan River, which was the boundary line between the wilderness and the promised land. And they got into this promised land, and the first city was Jericho. And in Joshua trying to work out, how do I take the city? God himself came down, and some of the pre-incarnate Christ met Joshua, and he gave him the instructions. You can read it in Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 6. And God tells Joshua, he says, what I tell you, he says, I have given you the city. I've given it to you. Past tense. Thank you. My name is Jim. No, 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 no. Hang on. There's some things you've got to do. So he says, okay, what have I got to do? So God tells him, he says, what you've got to do is you've got to get the nation. Gives him, lays out. Now, remember that Joshua is the type of Jesus. As we read and see Joshua, we see him as the type of Jesus. And that God the Father has given Jesus the inheritance. He's given him the strategy. But then Joshua, when he goes on, he tells God tells Joshua exactly what to do. He says, what you're going to do is you're going to get the people, all the people, and they're going to fighting men, and they're going to walk around the city once every day for six days. They've got to zip their lip. They're not allowed to say anything. They're not allowed to speak. They're not allowed to shout. They're not allowed to do anything. What you've got to do is put the priests with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. They walk ahead. Everybody walks around, and just the priests blow the trumpet. From once Every six, for six days. On the seventh day, you're going to do it seven times, and then you're going to shout, and the walls will come down. So Joshua, knowing the full plan, comes and shares everything with the people. No, he doesn't. If you read this account, and I want you to do that, you can go home and read it. Because I've realized that when Joshua, he doesn't come and reveal the whole plan. He just says to the Israelites, he says, I'll tell you what, Report for duty tomorrow morning. And so he comes out and he puts the priest with the Ark of the Covenant in front and he gets the, the, the soldiers. Now, can you imagine? Come on, men. Imagine being a soldier in those days, all right? 
All right. You have been waiting 40 years. You've been sharpening that sword. You're like, you've been doing your squats and the whole thing. You are fit. You're ready. <laughs> you know, you've, okay, don't look at my muscles. <laughs> But now you're ready. You're going to go for a fight. You've trained for this for years. You are ready for a fight. And you get up in the morning and you open the tent and you go, oh, this is the day we're going for. We're going to go and fight Jericho. And uh, you kiss your wife. You say, huh, there's going to be blood on my hands when I come home, you know. <laughs> and how did they go? And Joshua, you get there and they all think, he says, okay, we're going to walk around. And you don't sing the, the, the war cries. So you're not going to say anything. You're going to be quiet. You're just going to walk around this for once. And you go. <whistles> you walk right around the city. Now, the city was easy. You could walk around it in an hour. So they walk around the city. And Joshua says, okay, cheers, guys. See you tomorrow morning. <laughs> are you crazy? Joshua, are you really? Are you crazy? Now, what am I going to say to my wife? So you come home, you know, and, hello, honey, and, and how many today? Uh, nothing. What did you do? Nothing. What do you mean you did nothing? You just walked, you walked around the city? Are you crazy? Say, yeah, I don't know, this Joshua guy, you know. <laughs> maybe tomorrow. You get up the next morning, you know, all right, maybe today I'm going to come home. There's going to be blood on my sword. You just make it sharper, the whole thing. You go out, and the next day you walk around the city, and nothing happens. Three, four, five, and the sixth day. Honey, not, what do you mean nothing? Oh, I don't know, this Joshua guy, you know. <laughs> and on the seventh day, they came out and said, right, seven times around. Seven times! Are you crazy, Joshua? <laughs> what do you mean? Are you crazy? We've walked six times. What's seven times going to do? You see, what we don't realize is six is the number of man. Six is the number of humanity. Six... We have to push through six to get to seven. And so often I think, oh God, I stop at three, two. Maybe I get to six, so they're like, ah, Joshua, Jesus, are you crazy? I mean, what am I going to do? And so they go down seven times around. And at the end of seven times, they let out one mighty shout, and the walls of Jericho come down, and they go in, they take it. You see, I've always thought. And believed that it was the shout that brought down the walls. I've never seen this. In Hebrews, it says that the walls of Jericho came down because of faith after they'd encircled it for seven days. And I've begun to see and see something here. Is that you can shout. And man, have I shouted. I don't know about you. I've been in some crazy Pentecostal meetings or whatever, charismatic or charismania. And I have shouted to the north and to the south and to the east. And I've told people, you better get to church. You know, come, church. You know, and I think you know, nothing happens. And I've shouted in the name of Jesus, come down. But you see, a shout without faith is just a shout. But a whisper with faith is a bigger shout than the shout with no faith. And there's been some times where I've gone, oh, God, I can't do it anymore. I give up. He says, boom, the walls come down. I'm going, what happened? <laughs> How did that happen? How did that person get healed? Wow. And you realize, because when we go through the six, when we're pushing through our humanity, and we realize it cannot be done by us. 
There's nothing that we can do to bring the promises of God down. It's only the journey of encircling the promises of faith. I began to see and, and started to craft some of prayers for my life and for our lives, my family, and for the church. Saying, God, the promises. I read something that really gripped me. It said, prayer is something that we should pray with the promises of God, not for the promises of God. But God, how many times am I praying? God, would you give me this? Lord, I pray for this. You said this, Lord, I pray for this. And I'm thinking, I think sometimes God says, well, I don't understand. Are you mumbling down there? Are you wondering, what are you talking about? <laughs> am I bold enough to say, God, you promised this, so I'm praying with the promises now. I, it's tough. I don't know. Sort of like how to, I keep finding myself praying for the promises. I'm thinking like God says to me, man, I've given it to you. He says, I've given you the city. Okay, so what do I do, Lord? Is it in my effort? Is it because of what? No, no, it's got nothing to do with that. Why not, Lord? And you see, I began to see that. You see, for in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, it says, There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. That word riches is there, is to be richly supplied, affluent in resources, so that we can give blessings of salvation to all. The riches that are laid up for us are for the salvation of the city. I believe there's some Jerichos in our lives. Don't know about you. Are there some unfulfilled promises in your life? There's some things you know deep down, God, I know that there's more than before. Uh, maybe God has spoken to you. Maybe you've given up. Maybe you're on lap four, five. Maybe you've got to six, and you're saying, are you crazy, Lord? This will never happen. Maybe the enemy is shouting at you. I'm sure that those guys on the Jericho walls were laughing hard. And they said, what are these guys? Look at them. They just walk around once a day. What is that going to do? Maybe the enemy has convinced you that it's never going to happen. By faith, the walls of Jericho. By faith, the walls of Jericho. By faith, the walls of Jericho. You know what I began to ask? I began to ask God, saying, God, can you increase my faith? Because that's what I've been taught for so long, that I need more faith. Oh, God, would you give me more faith? I want more faith, Lord. And I found myself going to a text, and have you ever prayed that prayer, Lord, increase my faith? And I, I found myself going to this text in Luke chapter 17, verse 5, because it was in the same, where I felt I was in the company of the disciples, because the disciples asked the same question. In, the, in Luke 17, verse 5, it says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had the faith, if you had faith, like a grain of mustard seed, small little seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now it's in the context of, they were having this kind of discipleship moment. It was about being offended, about being angry with one another and forgiving. So that was the discussion the disciples and Jesus were having. And one of the disciples said to him, well look, how many times must I forgive my brother? I mean, like, like really, how many times? And it's interesting, what did he say? Seven times. Not six, not five. Seven times. You'll push through the six. 
How many times do we have to? And then the response is like, oh, Lord, increase my faith. Why? Because I tell you what, you need faith to forgive a brother. You know what? I believe that offense is the number one destroyer of the unity of the body of Christ. Being offended. People get offended. And I don't know why I'm saying this. I don't want to preach on it, but I want to say this in just in that. Is that if you may be here and you sit in and you're offended, or you're offended with another church and you're coming here, be careful. Come and sit with the elders first. You see, because offense and anger and unforgiveness destroys the unity of the church. And you know what, what I've learned? Is that you need faith to forgive. You need faith to forgive your brother. And Jesus tells them that, and then they say, Lord, increase my faith. Now, this is the point I want to get to, increase my faith. And then Jesus explains it. And I've never seen this before, but Tim Keller helped me understand this in such a brilliant way. Because this is what Jesus did. Jesus diverts them away from the quantity of faith and says, if you had the faith of a mustard seed. In other words, he, what Jesus was saying, you don't need more faith. What you need is faith in, in a powerful God. In other words, he was saying, what is our natural? What is our humanness? What is our number six? What does our humanity want? Come on. More. Of course we want more. More money, more house, more holiday, more. We want more, don't we? Our humanity says more. And Jesus, the kingdom, says, no, you don't need more. What you need is a greater understanding and revelation of the power of God. Because if you just have the tiniest amount of faith, you can move the impossible. Now, that mulberry tree, I'm thinking mulberry tree, I'm not sure it's exactly the same as our mulberry trees, but in Palestine, a mulberry tree lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. And its root system was prolific. It was... What they would say in that time as a cultural saying, they're saying it, you know, if you want, it's impossible to do that. They would say, it's like trying to uproot a mulberry tree. It's impossible. Its roots go too far. It lives for centuries. It's impossible to move that thing. Now, I believe Jesus was talking about the unforgiveness and the offense he was having a double meaning here. And he's saying, you know what? When it comes to unforgiveness and unrepentance and, 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 and these things, they're deep-rooted. And they last through generations. Yeah. And he says, what you're needing is not more faith. What you're needing to understand is that if you have a revelation of the power of God by you just having to say, uproot and go to the sea, it will be done. Yeah. In other words, I love it because... Now all of a sudden I don't have to perform. Now all of a sudden they have like, I don't have as much faith as you. Or you got more faith in, you know. No, it's got nothing to do with the quantity. It's got to do with the revelation of the power of God. Now I can put my focus past the six and I can put it onto the perfect seven. I can see that I don't deserve this. You see, I can't give grace to God. Did you know that? I can't give grace to God, but God gives grace to me. God gives grace to us. And so I don't deserve it, and I can't earn it. And so into that place, I believe that Jesus can do it because of His power, not because of what I have. Because if it was about quantity, I could brag about it. Check me out. I've got lots of faith. Bad luck for you. 
but it humbles and places us all on the same level. All you need is the smallest amount of faith, and you can do the biggest amount of things. I'm going, oh, thank you, Jesus. Why didn't I know this years ago? Because I've strived, and it's not, let's, Jesus is not saying you shouldn't grow in faith. He's just trying to say is that it's not about the quantity. The second thing is that he's talking about the impossible things that need to be uprooted and moved. You got some Jericho, some walls that are not coming down. You got some mulberry trees, some really deep rooted issues, and they're not coming out. Faith. And thirdly, we understand that the master is always giving us more than we deserve. Oh, it's amazing. Is that I don't deserve it? I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. But because of his incredible, generous mercy, he gives it. Wow. I can attack that, that stronger city. I can take those deep-rooted things and say, God, would you move them away? But you know what I found? Is it takes some time to get the revelation. It takes some time to surround the city or the mulberry tree. It takes some time to, to walk around those things and start praying with the promises and saying, God, I need this thing. And not because I can't perform this. I can't do this. I've got to push through my humanity. I've got to get to the end of myself. Because as long as myself and self is here, it's not going to come. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, the chapter before Hebrews 11, says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. So when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Isn't that amazing? Faith is being sure of what you hope for. Someone has said faith is taking the first step when you can't even see the, the staircase. Are you crazy? You're going to step and do that? Yeah. But there's... Faith is the bridge between where we are and where God wants us to be. Faith is believing what God has said. Are you crazy? You're going to do that? Yes. Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let me finish. You know, the, the powerful thing for me is how God preached the gospel through those seven days. Right there in this dust bowl, or we've been into Israel, and there's not much sort of greenery around that area. So I can imagine it was dusty. And right there, as those Israelites would have to encircle, because if you look at uh, Joshua chapter 6, verse 11, this is what it says, and it just caught my attention. It says, so, this is Joshua, he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city. The important thing about that day was not the people, but the ark. See, I've always thought it was the people, and they just followed the ark. No, 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 it's got nothing to do with the people. God was preaching the gospel to the Jerichoans and to the Israelites. And this is how he was doing it. Because he said, he caused the ark to circle the city, going about it once, and then once for every day, seven times on the seventh day. 
You see, I just began to think, I think, wow, the, the, the emphasis is on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a gold box. You may have even watched some movies about it and things. But there was this gold box, and inside it was the Ten Commandments, the tablet. It was a, a staff, a Moses' staff that had budded, fruitfulness, and there was some of the manna to remember. Inside, the box was closed, had a lid on. On top of the lid were golden angels. They called them seraphim and cherubims and, and those kind of things. And these angels, I don't know how it kind of looked, but these angels, they had faces, but these faces were, had four, they were four-faced, they were four-faced beings. And, and these cherubims, they had their wings over the box, and they were in gold. And this is how God told Moses to replicate what is in heaven. And so as in heaven, so it will be on earth. And what they did was, was that this, they called the lid the mercy seat. Now there's a mercy seat in heaven and there was a mercy seat on earth. And that was on this box. Now the mercy seat was specifically there because once a year, God required the high priest to slaughter an animal. It would die for the sins of Israel. And what that high priest had to do was had to take the blood from that animal and take the blood into the Holy of Holies and on that mercy seat will sprinkle the blood. So for 40 years, every year, the high priest went and sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. Up until this point, they were there for 40 years. And God says to them, take this Ark of the Covenant, take it out of the tent, Put it before the people because I'm going to preach the gospel to you. I'm going to preach the gospel to those in Jericho because they're going to see the blood-stained mercy seat. Because you see, God, because the blood was on the mercy seat, the curse of the law was taken care of. The law was inside. And God dwelt not in the box. God, God dwelt amongst the, the, the seraphim, amongst, on the mercy seat. That's where God dwelt. But what was happening there was he was preaching the gospel to the, to the Jericho and saying, there is coming a day when the Son of God would die and his blood would be shed and the blood would not be sprinkled on a golden box on the earth, but he would enter heaven and he would sprinkle his own blood on the mercy seat in heaven and then forever and for everyone our sins would be forgiven. And so the priest took this box and they walked around and they said to the, 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 the Jeric guys in Jericho, you see, you can repent. I believe that God was giving them a chance. I may be wrong, but I believe that he was preaching the gospel to them. And he went right through seven days and seven times because he was desperate for those Jeric guys in Jericho to reach out. You know what also I love? Is that God was preaching the gospel to the people of Israel. He required them to carry and saying, you, your sins are forgiven, but you've got to live by this, by the gospel. You don't only get saved, but you've got to live this. Not only do that, you've got to live it, you've got to carry it into your city. We are now the priests, the royal priesthood that no longer carry a box, but we carry the good news and the gospel that Jesus Christ his eternal sacrifice broke the curse 
broke the chains. We sing about it. One of those songs amazing this morning. I just couldn't get this out of my mind to say, God, thank you that your blood, your blood was shed so that the curse could be lifted. 